I would love for church to be a place where curiosity is fostered and also a place to respect that different people are on different places um, in their understanding of things and that none of us 100% understand everything. Welcome to the Faith Without Fear podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Redlands, California. This podcast is hosted by Senior Pastor Sean Zambros and Associate Pastor Nick Quint. In this episode, they are joined by Dr. Lisa Olson, Professor of Biology at the University of Redlands, to talk about faith, science, church, and curiosity. All right, so uh, evolution is a thing that sends the hackles up on, at least if I was 19, on the back of my neck. Uh, And we're here with Dr. Lisa Olson to talk about how to be a person of faith and a scientist, and all the joy and fear and weirdness that I imagine you have to deal with just on a daily basis at, at work. Uh, so where did you come from? Did you grow up in the church? How did, how did that all work for you? Ending up from, I'm assuming you went to Baylor. I and did. <laughs> Does that mean you're from Texas and everything? Or? No, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and grew up in at, at uh, First Southern Baptist Church of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, so have uh, my, my family goes four generations back Southern Baptist. Um, and so the church I was raised in was quite conservative. Um, my parents personally were not necessarily. Both my parents um, have science backgrounds. My dad's a chemist. Um, my mom's okay. a nurse um, <clears throat> and has a doctorate in nursing education. So um, so it, our home was always very pro-science okay. um, and pro, uh, never had any problem with any kind of conflict between science and faith. But... In Sunday school, uh, that was a different story, and so that was that was part of my upbringing was that plus other issues where my parents didn't necessarily agree with what was being taught um, denominationally, mm-hmm. and of course during all my growing up, the denomination changed quite a bit as well, so yes. it was becoming more and more conservative, um, <clears throat> which eventually led um, me uh, and my my sister and my parents all to leave the Southern Baptist tradition <laughs> one by one. So. Um, <clears throat> So I'm now American Baptist. My sister's a cooperative Baptist, and my parents are Methodist now. So, <laughs> so uh, Baptist, Methodist, yeah. Um, but uh, but I certainly was raised amidst a very conservative evangelical culture, mm-hmm. and that included uh, thinking that evolution was from the devil, you know, uh, and so that was a conflict I had to learn how to navigate fairly early, mm-hmm. um, you know. A lot starting in college when I became a, a biology major, okay. and I went to Baylor University, which is a Baptist affiliated school, uh, and not as much as it used to be, but still has a lot of definitely a Baptist feel to it. Yeah. Um, and then I went to uh, Johns Hopkins School of Medicine for my doctorate in Baltimore. Um, I have a PhD in human genetics and molecular biology, and um, and then I came out here to Redlands uh, for my first first job, and I'm still here 18 years later. So. <laughs> And you yeah. teach at the local university and everything. Right, so I teach, in the, and, teach yeah. in the biology department, yep. That's really cool. And so when did, uh, you said Sunday school, that's that's where it hit me as well. You know, we're going through Genesis, you know, the days, mm-hmm. the da-da-da. And the first thing I thought of was, because even in, I was homeschooled, so I'm getting basically what I'm being taught. But then I, I read, and you do a lot more reading and looking. And you know, oh, the earth looks, seems like it's a lot older than 6,000 yeah. years. <laughs> and you just have those kind of questions. And, you know, you don't resolve them at 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10. But just mm-hmm. those things that kind of sit. So when, when for you, is there like a formative moment or series of moments where you kind of realized, 
the old way of doing things with what you're being taught and your family background with science and respect for, you know, uh, math and all these sorts of questions and stuff like that? Was there a moment maybe where you kind of realized these two things just there's conflict and one of the, there has to be some sort of reconciliation between them. Is there, mm-hmm. can you think of a moment or, or a series of moments when that maybe happened for you? Um, it was probably in high school um, yeah. when I, I gained a lot of freedom just from that verse, um, which I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but that um, to the Lord a, a day can be like a thousand years and a thousand mm-hmm. years like mm-hmm. a day, yeah. um, which just was enough for me to feel like, okay, so a seven-day creation doesn't have to be exactly seven days and um and then in college i think i did some more exploration of of various um various types of ways of thinking about evolution and creation together and more in graduate school as well and that's where in graduate school is really really where i thought learned more about genre theory Mm -hmm. and thinking that different books of the bible have to be interpreted according to their genre and Mm so something like the psalms is going to have poetry and and songs right and so that's going to be more um imagery type language that's not necessarily literal of course and Mm -hmm. and we don't read the psalms and think that everything is literal and we're okay with that (laughs) um which is going to be different than the Gospels, which are set out to say this is an accounting of the life of a person um, and it is meant to be a biography. So that's a different genre. You would, if you were picking a book out of the biography, biography section of the library, you would interpret it differently than get picking up a play or um, a poem. Hmm. And that Genesis is kind of a weird book that we don't really know what genre that should be. Yeah. Um, and particularly the beginning first few chapters, which are, of course, um, uh, we can't say that this is um, an eyewitness account when it's saying that things are happening there before there were humans, right? So that's clearly not an eyewitness account. <laughs> it's not like they have a camcorder and they're just, oh, yes, right. we're recording everything, yeah. Right, and so being able to say, to, to have some more freedom again, to say, look, we already do this. We interpret certain scriptures in different ways. Um, we already have certain parts of the Bible that we don't take literally, that we, but we don't discount them. We don't think that they're not meaningful, um, but their meaning is something bigger than what the literal word is. And that gave me some freedom to look at Genesis that way, too, to say, look, this is a part of Scripture that's important, that has something to teach me, that tells me something about the relationship of people to God mm-hmm. and to creation, <clears throat> but that was not meant to be a science book of a description of how things came to be. So that was, I mean, it was all a process though. Like that, like I said, I think I got a little inkling of that in high school, but then I pursued that on my own through college and graduate school because I was constantly being asked this question. Yeah. And I went through, when I went to conservative churches pretty much all through college and graduate school, it was really when I came here that I started to to go to more um, <clears throat> liberal churches. And so it was a it was a you know weekly thing at church. I'd meet someone new and um, introduce myself and say I was in a biology PhD program, and they would say, "Oh, so do you teach do you do you tell all those people that evolution is wrong?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> that's not what I do." And stop assuming that. And it was yeah. so it was a constant. And I'll have to say, I would always rather defend isn't the right word, but you know, explain with grace my mm-hmm. faith to a scientist, I would much rather have that conversation mm-hmm. than have to defend science to a Christian. Like that is a much more frustrating conversation mm-hmm. to me, but one that I have had by necessity to get more skilled at because I have to have that conversation mm-hmm. a lot. And I still do. I have students every semester who come in my class and 
Um, I always start off uh, the semester by on the first day introducing myself and, you know, saying I have a daughter and I have, a daughter, you know, I have guinea pigs and we have, you know, whatever you tell about yourself. And I say that I'm a Christian, I'm very involved in my church and that I would love to talk to anybody about science and faith in office hours if they're interested in doing that. Mm-hmm. And so every year I have students who come to have those kind of conversations. And um, a lot of them have been raised in, in evangelical churches growing up and are really caught um, saying, I don't know what to do. If I believe this stuff, then my parents are going to disown me. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying in class really seems to make sense, Dr. Lawson. Yeah. And so anyway, I still have this conversation all the time. And thinking about that, too, you, you mentioned I, I wanted to go there. I thought that was so interesting. Explaining your faith to a fellow scientist. This is, you know, a colleague. This is someone you, you know, you can talk about the hard sciences and you just you get into the weeds with it. Then you kind of bring it back and be like, oh, and I'm also a person of faith. Does mm-hmm. there, do they just kind of look at you like, how does that work just rationally for you? Or, more, <laughs> or, or is there kind of a sense of openness uh, to thinking about, you know, faith and science and the relationship they have, as well as your own just personal experience with faith. Is that, how do those conversations usually pan out? Because I'm just so interested by that. There's certainly, um, I, I'm lucky that in the biology department at Redlands, there's actually several faculty members that um, are uh, of faith. And so I'm not alone. Okay. Um, but then I've always, in every scientific setting I've been in, have always had some very staunch atheists around me um, <clears throat> that I you know, respect as colleagues and friends and everything else. And so that's just an area where we certainly have different opinions. And I have always thought, well, in graduate school, I struggled. I, I, I thought a lot about this and figuring out what is what is my role here? You know, I maybe like there were many years in graduate school where I was the only Christian in, in a lab, right, mm-hmm. <clears throat> of 10 or 15 people. And you sit around, you're doing your experiments and you're, and you're chit-chatting. And, and so things would come up and, and my faith would come up and what was my role or what was my my calling in those conversations. And of course, I want to be ready to give an answer you know, any time that I'm, I'm asked for things. But um, so if, if someone was really ready to hear more about um, the gospel, of course, I, I would want to engage in that conversation. But I feel like many times my, my sole aim in these conversations is to um, be a person that believes in God, that follows Christ that is someone that they respect Hmm. because that they have never met anyone like that before. Mm -hmm. There's no one that they've ever met that claims these beliefs that they respect, Hmm. (laughs) you know, intellectually, maybe I'll say. So there's intellectual integrity at stake, not just merely as a a person of faith, but a person of integrity as well. Okay. Right. So, um, and if that's all I get, you know, that's as far as a conversation could ever lead or a relationship could ever lead. Like, you know, this person may not ever be coming to, you know, down the aisle to get baptized or whatever. But that that they can, you know, say, oh, here is a person that I do respect intellectually that that also holds these beliefs. Like that itself, I feel like, is a big thing. That that itself is like is, is my witness in many ways. Because you're, you know, you're not going to just go from zero to 60, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You're not going to uh, necessarily make that leap. And so until you can even point to someone who you, who is a Christian that you intellectually respect, um, if you've never had that before, like you would never go any farther than that. Yeah. That's like step one, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with, with many scientists, that that's my goal. And I think I can, I think I've done that yeah. quite a bit with people. Um, and then, of course, you pray for people's hearts to soften, and I think that uh, they can see that my faith impacts how I carry out my life on a daily basis, and mm-hmm. you pray that that is a witness, too. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't, I don't know if that was no, fully answered your no, question. No, that makes complete sense. And it's a sense of presenting yourself not merely as a person of faith, mm-hmm. but as someone that actually lives it. And here's how this impacts how I treat this person. Here's mm-hmm. how, why I care about this issue. And there's a sense of there's a holistic kind of mentality to it that a lot of people compartmentalize Christian faith. And I'm a Christian on Sunday, and throughout the week I'm a hedonist, or mm-hmm. I'm this, or I'm that. And it's kind of like, well, no, there's there's a lifestyle orientation that we, we pull ourselves towards an imitation of Christ and participation and the Spirit and all these sorts of things. And mm-hmm. when people see that, they may not even buy it, but they'll look and be like, but it's working for you. And this is clearly not an insane person <laughs> right, right. that's teaching my kids, right. you know, science. And mm-hmm. there, there's a sense of, of respect that I think comes along. And, of course, with respect comes good relationships and mm-hmm. dialogue and all that sort of stuff. So that's really cool to hear. That's really cool. In my years in campus ministry, I met various scientists over the years. And I discovered, um, and many of them were people of faith. And what they talked about was... Um, obviously getting the academic credibility. So it was even recommended to one person. He actually wasn't a scientist, but his the his department was hostile toward people of faith. And uh, it was recommended to him by a professor in a different department. Uh, don't tell him anybody you're a Christian. Hmm. And I thought, at first I thought, what? <laughs> and, then, and then it said, no, prove yourself academically. Mm-hmm. Then you can tell them you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. And they will have already seen it in your life if you live the life and, then, uh, and prove yourself academically. Then when it comes out later on that you're a Christian, you've already you know, earned their respect. Uh, others I saw compartmentalize it, like what we say. You know, it's like, well, this is what I do. And they compartmentalized it, and it didn't matter what their field was. You know, mm-hmm. they, they compartmentalized their faith. And then others, um, uh, I heard from scientists who said, well, when I first went into science, uh, it was hard to believe in God. But the further I got in science, it became easier to believe in God. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they realized that science was this big, wide open, you can't explain everything kind of thing or you or there's always something else to try and explain yeah that's Francis Collins's story who was the mm-hmm. director of National Institute of Health and the human genome project um, that he wasn't he didn't grow up uh, as a Christian and then um, as he became a biologist and geneticist um, actually mm-hmm. came to faith after that and mm-hmm. um, yeah so that that's a story too and I've I've known it's interesting because I, I feel like openness to faith I found more in physicists <laughs> than in biologists. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And I think like Heisenberg principle, you observe some things, then you know you can't really ever observe something accurately. Um, like there's a little bit more of uncertainty in physics. Like there's some mm-hmm. level of like you, there's something that you'll never fully know, mm-hmm. which I don't know, seems to open a door <laughs> a little bit. And that's, you know, I say this in class every, every year because we talk about um, – energy uh, and you know the ultimate source of energy on the earth is the sun right I was just having this conversation with my daughter yesterday about <laughs> where you know the plants get their energy from the sun and then we eat the plants and <clears throat> um, and then so I asked my students so where where's the energy from the sun happening coming from it's coming from chemical reactions there's matter in the sun it's getting converted to energy right we think about E equals mc squared so where did that matter come from well it came from the big bang well so if energy cannot be created or destroyed uh, where did that energy or matter come from before the Big Bang? And they're always like feeling like, oh, she's asking me a question. I should know this. Was this in the reading? Yeah. yeah. And then I go, and nobody knows. Nobody knows the answer to that question. The physicists don't know the answer to that question. That's where we're right. beyond science and we're into philosophy and religion. Right. right? <laughs> like, yep. right. And so uh, even just opening that door to say, like, yes, as scientists, we can explain a whole lot, but there's always going to be a point 
where we don't know. We don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that can be just a little bit of an opening, right? Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I heard someone once say that, uh, you know, the God, and God said, let there be light. And then there was a big bang. <laughs> <laughs> And that, yeah, it gets it. It's interesting that when science is taken, you know, and, and it's this this incredibly complex, incredibly, as you said, uh, just wide open. Like it's it's a field. You can do whatever you want in the field, and it's one of those where you kind of just need to stop and go, who who gave me the field? You know, who who painted the landscape? And it's one of those things where I've noticed, and I have a few friends in physics and who dabble, and they're like, yeah, just we need philosophy in order to understand physics. Mm-hmm. Biology, they're like, you, you need philosophy to comprehend biology, but there's something about physics that's its own kind of weird, it's almost like they're, they're scientific philosophers or sci-philosophers or whatever the term mm-hmm. is for that. And it's just, and watching him talk, he almost sounded like he was getting evangelistic and just talking about it. And he's, he's, he believes in God, he's not really religious, but even he was kind of beginning to, re, he like, came to this conclusion that there's something that had to create and do this mm-hmm. and we're here playing in the the sand garden while he or she or it watches us mm-hmm. and I, was, I just thought that was so fascinating and, and but it but then a lot of people kind of go well let's jump out of the sandbox and no there's a lot to learn in the sandbox there's infinite number of things we can learn that's why the need for science is just so powerful especially for the church and stuff like that it's it can help explain what's out there too and not mm-hmm. just in an uh, apologetic way be ready to give a defense but here's the beauty of just the natural world just even from an artistic or a meditative standpoint, there's a lot of power, I think, to, to how science can inform us in that way, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that God gives us particular gifts and talents with the intent for us to use them, right? Mm-hmm. And just the way um, an artist, you know, should use their talents to make beautiful art or, <clears throat> um, you know, right, you can think about all different kinds of careers, but a scientist um, has this gift of being able to look at evidence and draw logical conclusions and design experiments to test, you know, hypotheses. And that is a gift that God gave me, a skill that God gave me. And so anything I discover from that skill has got to be honoring to him. That's like an outcome of a talent he gave me. And so I always, you know, people who say evolution isn't real. um, And I think, well, why in the world would there be an entire huge mass of evidence all pointing to this logical conclusion that you look through genetics and you look through the fossil record and you look through um, comparative anatomy and you look at all these different forms of evidence, you know, the um, carbon dating and things like that. Um, And it it all is pointing to this logical conclusion. Um, God did not give me a mind that's going to just deceive me on that, right? Like the skill right. of being able to look at the evidence and make the right conclusion is, is a skill that he gave me. And it's not a big trick. Like there's no, what, what would be the point of God giving all this evidence in, in the earth to look at and having it all be a trick? That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I'm not, so I always tell my students, like these students who are Christians who are coming to talk to me and um, trying to figure out how to grapple with this. And I'm like, we don't have to be afraid of anything that we can discover, mm-hmm. right? That's not honoring to God. Like anything we discover has got to be glorifying to him and his, cre- and his creation. And so we don't have to be afraid of anything. I think so many, so many times this this evolution science faith thing is based in fear. Because <laughs> if you believe that, then what does that mean? You're, you're you know, a horrible Christian. Um but science is no more something to fear than 
any other kind of talent that God gave us. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's just hard for a lot of people, I imagine, just living on the edge of that cliff where the slippery slope is right there. And it's like, I don't know if I could just live like that. It's a perpetual mm. fear of just, one. If I, if I take one step and I slide down and suddenly I'm in Nowheresville or whatever. Yeah. And it's just kind of what's like, well, I think, I don't know, just if we, if, even just reading the Psalms, you know, you look at the Psalms and they're just, God just did this glorious stuff and we can't explain it and they're just all these sorts of things. But they never were like afraid of it. It was more like this, we see this beautiful stuff. This reflects God's character and mm-hmm. reflects all these sorts of things that God would create, that God would give us agency, cognition, and all these sorts of things together. It's like to explore, like you said, to even just ask good questions is itself honoring to God. And that's at this church, we try fumbling around, but we, we try mm-hmm. to cultivate that because we respect people's cognition. And as Baptists, we believe in, mm-hmm. you know, you have the mental capability to logically think through issues for yourself, not a separate from the church, but in conversation with the church and tradition and all the other tools that God has given us, science, logic, all those things. And it's, I don't know, I just, I can't imagine going back and, I mean, I can imagine going back to my five-year-old self and be like, you know, one day, a lot of this is going to just seem like a silly conversation, but mm-hmm. for many people, it won't, you know? And I guess that's where a big question I have is, so, so uh, the students that come to you, right, they're, they're, you know, they've heard all this, their church taught them this, and how, and just, you know, in that point, you're basically a pastor, you're a minister. Here, here's how we walk through this, you know, these questions. And I guess for a lot of people, the, the, the fear of going one way or another results in intellectual incredibility or mm-hmm. just even or a compromise. I'm, I'm compromising myself or I'm compromising myself in this way. And that basically puts you in the position of being a pastor. So when they come to you and ask you, how do I, doesn't matter necessarily the question, but just the, the idea of having to harmonize this. What's usually running through your head right now? Because you've had this conversation multiple times. I yeah, imagine. you know, it's very interesting. I never thought about this way, but I'm actually kind of doing something similar with my students is what I was saying before is for some of these students who've been raised in very um, conservative evangelical households, they've never met a scientist that they can respect, right? So it's just the opposite of what I was talking about before, but they've always thought of science as this like threatening thing. And even though, even though they took high school biology classes, they had this with this view of like, I'm going into the, you know, the bad realm, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So um, for, for, first of all, I want to just meet them where they are and say, look, I am a person, I, I want to get, like establish my credibility with them the same way that I established my credibility with my scientific colleagues by like saying, look, I'm a legitimate scientist, you know, <laughs> yeah. published in science, things like that. But with these students, I want to say, you know, I often, I use that, the language that we understand, we were mentioning before the podcast started, that I speak both these languages of mm-hmm. science and faith. And so a student who comes in, I can say, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer. I, you know, I, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? These are these are phrases that I'm comfortable with. I grew up in that, yeah. and that I that I still believe in, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of that particular language, to establish that, like, yes, I am somebody that you can trust. I, mm-hmm. I am a Christian that's not faking it, you know. Yeah. But then I can say, and I am also a scientist who believes in evolution, and that can be like mind blowing for them. To they've never met somebody mm-hmm. who holds both of those identities. Mm-hmm. So that, again, step one is, like, just enough to open up their mind that, like, maybe this is a possibility because I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then um, to also encourage them, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up this idea of our Baptist um, embracing of our cognition and our questioning, to encourage students that it is okay to have questions, and you don't have to have all the answers to those questions. Yeah. You know, and I tell them, look, I started kind of grappling with this of how was I going to meld these two things in high school, kept doing it all through college and graduate school. And I still have questions about 
how faith and science come together in my life that I don't have the answers to. And some of those I've just accepted that, like, I'm probably not going to know that till I get to heaven and ask Jesus. <laughs> like, you know, because um, I certainly believe that <clears throat> we evolved from a common ancestor with uh, other primates, for example, chimpanzees and things like that. Um, I do think that we have a unique soul, that we are responsible for our actions um, and, re- and responsible to respond to God in a way that other animals don't. So where did that happen on the evolutionary chain? I do not know. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I've studied, you know, Homo erectus, Homo erectus, and the various, you know, um, other kinds of uh, hominids. Um, and I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. where where in that line did did we become able to actually have a unique relationship with God that another gorilla can't, right, or something. Right, yeah. um, and to me, that's that idea of like when God breathed life into Adam, like breathe the soul into us as humanity, and that happened somewhere along evolution. I don't know where that is, and you know what? I just have to be okay with not knowing the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And so teach telling my students that some of these questions you're going to get answers to as you grapple with them. It may take years. Some of them you're not going to ever get a totally satisfying answer to and that that's okay too. Yeah. That I, I feel like is a big thing too. Because we all, we're all going to have questions, and questions that we don't have answers to. But at least in the faith tradition I was raised in, that was frowned upon. Like you're supposed to know all the answers. It's black and white. There's no gray. There's no questions you don't know the answer to. Like maybe you got it. And if you have questions, then you're, and you're a doubter, and you're on your way to hell, yeah, <laughs> kind yeah, of yeah. thing. So um, those are some of the kinds of things, I, conversations I have with those students. It's kind of ironic because as a scientist, you can say, I don't know. Right. And, and saying I don't know just pushes you to keep studying and to keep discovering and, and that it, it, it actually makes you open, whereas Christians, a lot of time people, in, in fa- people of faith I don't know is a showstopper yeah. for them. I mean, they they just they can't keep going, you mm-hmm. know. And the idea of saying I don't know is, um, uh, like you say, it's somehow lack of faith. When mm-hmm. actually, I don't know should push us into trying to to discover and get to know God better. Mm-hmm. And, and with the idea that uh, may not may not get that answer, but doesn't mean that I can, you know, I won't stop thinking about it and praying about it and. Uh, studying and trying to discover and mm-hmm. talking to other people about it. But it's interesting as a scientist where you think of science as being, you know, here are, you know, all these rules and, you know, all these different things that you do as a scientist. And and yet, I don't know is an acceptable answer for a scientist. Mm-hmm. But a person, person of faith, faith, <laughs> I don't know, is is sometimes a really hard thing or if there's the I don't know in faith then it's almost an I don't know that you're not allowed to pursue like it's like that well faith is you know yeah. things that are not seen like you just you just have to have it in faith you just have to believe it on faith right there you go and you're not allowed to actually like pursue trying to get to more of the depths of that right um and that's not scientific right you want to so we should be able to grapple and investigate in our faith too right the way we that's how we science. grow yeah yeah yeah, and so the role of the church just at its heart, and on top of cultivating a relationship with Jesus and society, seems to be also just on a more micro level, cultivating a sense of curiosity, mm-hmm. a sense in which, you know, read the Bible, ask questions of it, read your science text in the same way, look for questions, think about it. And if, it, if you answer a question, they'll probably invoke a lot more questions to think about, mm-hmm. and that's good. Mm-hmm. And go down the rabbit hole. And a, a church, ideally, ideally speaking, would basically grab your hand and say, let's go. Let's, yeah. let's go look. And we may disagree on the outcome of that. 
But we're talking and we're enjoying this and we're looking through this together. And there's a sense of curiosity, I think, at least in my church tradition where I grew up, Calvary Chapel, the idea of even asking questions was a, was unheard of. The children didn't ask questions. Right. And it was just the pastor up there who never went to seminary, doesn't know anything about Greek or ancient context or any history, just gets up there and reads his English translation and that's that's good enough for everything. Mm-hmm. And he, you ask him questions, he doesn't know the answer, but it's more an answer of why are you asking me this? And there's kind of a, a standoffishness to the idea of even asking questions. So curiosity, I think, should feels like it should just be an innate Christian virtue if you're involved in, in church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know, just curiosity itself is something I think the church is sorely lacking in, mm-hmm. especially in my more conservative churches. I mean, if they, for example, if they said, you know, early on, uh, explore this, like this is good and holy because you're serving God by doing what you're doing. You're pursuing your vocation in Christ and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. That changes people's perception of church early on. And who knows where we end up at that point? That's a whole, we, that would have changed our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't probably be here in Redlands because we'd be, I don't know, Princeton or, <laughs> or other epic places. But just the idea that even the, if the church had cultivated curiosity early on, a lot of people would either still be in church or people would find church to be something that they can't get anywhere else. You know, so I don't know. I, I, that's just that's just so fascinating that the university is cultivating curiosity. But a lot of churches kind of push that away. And I don't know. It's just a, that's where maybe the the split kind of begins to foster, like at a young age. I don't know. I don't know what you have to say about that. I think I'd be really curious to hear what you think about. That. Yeah, I was thinking. I mean, I would, I would love for church to be a place where curiosity is fostered, and also a place to respect that different people are on different places, um, in their understanding of things, and that none of us, a hundred percent, understand everything. Right, because I think that's a, that's an aspect of science is that we always know we're not we don't understand everything. There's mm-hmm. always more to know, mm-hmm. and um, in churches, if when when we brought up, you know, how we're interpreting scripture, what we think about a particular Bible story, if if we were asking the questions and being like, well, I don't know, I think that that it could mean this, or I think it could mean this, and let's investigate and let's think about that, and different people can disagree, and that that's okay. And that what you think about it right now might not be the same as what you think about it in five years. Sure. That was something that was really uh, challenging for me as I grew in my faith, um, particularly in that kind of transition from graduate school to coming out here. Like I said, that's when I really changed the types of churches that I attended. And you feel like you're abandoning the faith of your childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it had just gotten to be too much. I was just tired of having to constantly defend myself for things that I thought were not flaws in my Christianity, right? That my my science was not a flaw in my Christianity, as well as other things that, you know, uh, set me aside, Um, that I was a strong woman, that I was pursuing motherhood as a single person, you know, things like that. Um, I was just ready to to be, uh, you know, in in a different environment. But that felt like an abandonment of my childhood faith. And we shouldn't ever make people think that if they grow and change in their thinking, that they're abandoning their roots, right? That should be, it should be part of the process that of course, as you get older, you change and grow and that your faith is part of that. Um, Just like we wouldn't expect you to have the same emotional maturity as a 15-year-old as you do as a 45-year-old. Well, certainly hope not. <laughs> <laughs> right? That, but why do we think that, like, if this is the way you learned what that Bible story meant when you were 15 at church camp, that's the only valid interpretation. Mm. That's crazy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. we should be able to view our faith through a lens that can also grow and change and that God develops us in wisdom in many ways. And that we, so we should encourage our kids that there's not just one black and white answer, um, but that 
faith is, you know, the word journey is overused in this world, but that, that the, being a Christian means that you're committed to keep following and, and exploring and learning. And so what, what the best that we know right now might not be what we know in 10 years. Because mm-hmm. that's certainly what it is in science. We certainly say that in science. The best that we know now is not what we're going to know in 10 years, and that's just part of the deal. And I think that can apply to faith, too. Can you I, imagine? Can you imagine? I know. If we applied that to faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for the ways that God has changed my heart and how I understand Scripture and how I understand Him. I am so grateful for the changes that, that He has brought in me, um, but it takes a lot of courage to be willing to let those changes happen. Mm-hmm. Especially just in, I mean, it's like you mentioned stages of faith, Sean, about, you know, the, you go through a time of deconstruction. That's just kind of part of yeah. the process of everything. But you can't perpetually stay in that stage because, I mean, deconstruction <laughs> leads to just you can't go anywhere. But and I think a lot of people kind of hit that stage and stop. And I think what you're getting at is really powerful is, no, that's part of the whole and Pastor John, the whole process of life is mm-hmm going through the storms and the valleys and, and, and the mountains and the tunnels and just going through that and accepting that it's not always going to be easy or fun. Faith is not about having fun. It's about growth. And I think a lot of people just kind of miss that. And it kind of, it's kind of, we want the easy, give me the easy answer, give me the black and white, don't tell me that there are other options. I mean, I had a New Testament professor flat out say, the Bible can't mean everything, but it can mean a lot of things. And that even just, you know, for a young kid is like, oh, right. okay, that's... That's formative, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that there's 10 ways to read this verse and they're all legitimate, just grammatically, historically, you know, all, it's just not unreasonable to read it that way. I think just causes a lot of people either to retreat or to just, as we said, dive in with curiosity. And I think the church, at least this church has done an incredible job of fostering that. Thank you for listening to the Faith Without Fear podcast, a minister of the First Baptist Church of Redlands, California. Music was created and performed by Garrett Zambros. 